0: Hi, everyone. Today, we have a very interesting conversation. Um, I've talked now to quite a few in-house lawyers who are increasingly moving to what's known as outside general counsel or fractional in-house attorney categories. Um, Very interesting um, uh, trend. And I have just the guest who uh, have been doing this for quite a while. And he also has an expertise in transportation law, something I admittedly don't know much about other than, you know, of course, I'm a consumer of transportation, as we all are. Um, and so uh, this will be a great conversation for us to um, ask questions and learn uh, about this area of law. As always, ask questions, participate. You will get a whole lot more out of the conversation if you're part of it. I welcome your feedback and I welcome your questions. And uh, with that in mind, Steve, please introduce yourself. Hi, Olga.
1: Thank you so much for having me today. It's uh, all my pleasure. Uh, my name is Steven Shanker and I am an attorney in New York City. I, for the past 20 years, have practiced primarily in uh, the field of transportation and what's known as the four hire vehicle industry, which Before Uber and Lyft came to town, most people didn't know. Now they know what it is. Uh, It's a very complex dynamic and has been very disruptive over the past 10 years or so. And uh, I might say quite interesting to be involved in.
0: (laughs) Isn't it nice that in your lifetime you went from practicing law in something that you have to explain what it is to now everyone (laughs) knowing uh, what it means?
1: It is. I mean, at first people would say to me, uh, you know, what is that? And I have to explain to them and they'd say, well, why is it called for hire? Well, how is that related to transportation? And now I get people say to me, is that like Uber and Lyft? And I said, well, yes and no, there are some subtle differences inside and outside of New York City. But it's very interesting because now people are familiar with what for hire transportation is they now are able to ask me questions when they find out what i do especially when i take a car service to the airport
0: oh that must lead some good conversation you you are a good ride informative ride um so steve how, how you know how does one get into you know transportation law generally and for higher transportation law specifically how did that happen to you
1: Well, in New York City, despite it being a very large city and a very large industry, there's something that I've come to know over the years that there's what I call the circle of love, which is there's a number of people who pretty much dominate the industry, and they're the ones who are the movers and shakers. And I didn't know anyone at the time. It just so happened I got introduced to uh, the owner of what was then the biggest car service in New York City, to help out with a couple of legal issues. This was almost 20 years ago, so it obviously predated Uber and Lyft. And h- him and I hit it off immediately. I did a lot of good work for him, and the more work that I did, the more work he wanted me to do for him. And from that point on, it was he would refer to me. He would refer me to his uh, competitors. He would refer me to other people in the industry. And I would say to him, why would you refer me to your competitor? And he said, well, you do such a good job for me. I want to make sure that you do a good job for the rest of the industry to keep it healthy and competitive.
0: You know, Steve, you mentioned this term of circle of law quite a few times. And having been in other industries, I think it's definitely true, not just in transportation or transportation for hire. um, But in every, frankly, industry that I've been to or have talked about, um, there is sort of players in the industry have an interest to keep the civility level, the competency level up, because that just makes a better playground for everyone. Um, and uh, it's such an important factor, especially for lawyers uh, to understand very early on
1: yes years ago it used to be one company against another they they would alter their prices alter their um customer service something to differentiate themselves and then uh, I'd say probably about 10 to 12 years ago the taxi limousine commission which is the regulatory agency in new york city they became very active and all of a sudden they created what i call the encyclopedia of rules and regulations to the point where you needed a lawyer to just help a company understand how to comply with the law, so it became very, um, very much in need of uh, a lawyer to help people navigate the the maze of the the industry and the maze of the business aspect of it. Uh, and at that point, it became instead of companies fighting with each other for you know their piece of the pie, it became everybody against the commission because the commission was doing what. In my opinion, whatever they could to get out as many people as they could.
0: The Regulations can be quite unifying uh, because um, it's easier to uh, to navigate them when you share and collaborate um, and and really trying to solve the uh, the, the challenge. What I do want to talk about is one more thing: is that uh, you mentioned that the for hire transportation is different from Uber and Lyft, so. Tell me more, tell me Tell me what I'm missing in understanding that category.
1: Okay, well, first you have uh, a differentiation between uh, 4 hire transportation and Uber and Lyft outside of New York City and then inside of New York City. So outside of New York City, you have Uber and Lyft is primarily made up of people who are working part-time started off as let's say people who retired or wanted to make money as a, a side gig uh you know moms who were home dads who were out of work whatever the case may be but it wasn't a full-time job as a commercial driver and it pretty much it's still the same way when you also have outside of new york city the uh professional car service where you're going to call up and you're going to get not a hyundai or a toyota you're going to get you know a mercedes 500 class or an audi a8 but you're also going to pay for that service so you get what you pay for, uh, but also inside the city, it's different to the extent that there are all full-time drivers and you don't necessarily have what I'll call your own driver, o- almost all of the drivers are independent contractors. And that's where one of the uh, interesting legal issues came about, you know, employer uh, classification or misclassification was not a real sexy thing before uh, Uber and Lyft came to town. And now it's a big thing and I'm happy I, I learned the, Uh, the ropes of it before they came, because the people who are in New York City that are providing the transportation, whether they're an employee or not, has obvious massive legal connotations for labor law, personal injury, and a variety of other things. But I guess the difference in New York City is that they're all commercial drivers. They all have to be licensed by the same licensing entity, and they're all treated the same. And it's very heavily regulated in New York City. Outside of New York City, it's not as nearly heavily.
0: Very interesting. Thank you for that explanation. question. I didn't realize all the nuances. I now appreciate them so much better. So <laughs> thank you for that. Let's talk about the external general counsel. Um, there's quite a lot of trends here that I'm seeing in my network. I see on the one hand, quite a few in-house lawyers who either for balance reasons or because they're in a different stage of their career or whatever reasons they may have, uh, go from being in-house lawyer to being fractional general counsel or outside general counsel uh, to many smaller or not always smaller companies, startups or not. And I also see outside counsel actually kind of uh, rebranding and refocusing their practice uh, on being this outside fractional resource, again, either to business professionals or to the in-house legal department. Um, and this term of a fractional general counsel or external general counsel or you know other related terms have been used quite widely, especially during pandemic. It's a trend that started before pandemic and definitely have been flourishing. Tell me what those terms mean to you and tell me how you came to this practice. To
1: me and the way that I've operated and practiced for largely for the past 20 years is, I deal mostly with companies that are in for higher transportation, but some are outside because a lot of the things that I do translate to other companies such as employment law and uh, uh, other matters relating to you know, uh, administrative law. but. Most of the companies that I've come across, especially in New York City in this field, they're large enough and complex enough where they need an in-house counsel, but they don't want to add to their payroll. They don't want to incur that cost. Uh, They don't necessarily believe in the old saying of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. They don't know what they're getting, what's the value that you're bringing to the table other than a recommendation from somebody. They certainly don't like billable hours, and most don't know that there's another methodology that I i don't want to say I invented, but I came up with to make it, uh, let, let's say, viable for them to see, one, if they like it, two, the value that comes to the table. And over the course of time, to be able to work out a fee arrangement that is fair and equitable to both sides that encourages efficiency and not inefficiency.
0: So in that stage, you, you normally selling your services to a business leader who may not be a lawyer, right? Um, Who is in the industry that has been disrupted for quite a while now and have been changing right in front of our eyes and and has to navigate the increasingly complex landscape of of laws, regulations and other kinds of new and old stakeholders that are part of it.
1: Yeah, a, a lot of times people will contact me and they'll say, Um, Well, I don't know what it is that I need. So I prepared something that I'll call, uh, it's like a menu where I say, these are the things that I typically do for a company of your nature. You tell me what it is that you want me to do or that you're interested in having me do. Because ultimately it really comes down to cost. If I charge somebody, you know, a dollar a week, they'll have me do everything under the sun, including, you know, clean their uh, bathrooms. But ultimately it's to be able to come up with, what does the company need and sometimes the company says to me well i don't know what i need but i know i need somebody like you so how i usually started off is one of two ways it's either okay this is my minimum amount that i charge on a monthly basis because i know i have to have myself available to the company in the event that they need me and when i say available somebody contacts me i'm going to get back to them the same day if not by the next day uh, and over time, they say, oh, I didn't realize you did this. Or can you help us out with that? Or, oh, this is something that we really have a problem with. Do you have any ideas? And over the course of time, because it's a, a flat fee, it encourages the client to contact you when either there's a problem or when there's not a problem. That's really the best situation when a client feels comfortable calling you up when there's not a problem because calling a lawyer before there's a problem, in my opinion, often prevents problems later on, such as litigation. So I adjust the time that I have to make myself available and charge a a fee that's commensurate with the time that I believe is going to be spent on particular matters. And after a period of time, whether it be four months, six months, or 12 months, we reevaluate and say, how many things have I worked on? What have I worked on? What's been the success? How, what value do I bring to the table? And is the financial relationship fair or not? If it is, then we continue. If it's not, then we endeavor to make it financially feasible. So everybody walks away happy.
0: I would like to ask more questions. You know, I, it sounds like sort of a menu of, 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 of things you offer. So what's on the menu and, and how is it different from the size of the company?
1: Well, in for higher transportation, for one, it's almost all of them is, how do I comply with this regulation? What does that regulation mean? For example, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey uh, is the operator of the three main airports in and around New York City, LaGuardia, JFK, and uh, Newark. And the Port Authority recently said, well, you know, we need some money, so there's a lot of airport trips that come and go, so we're going to have you charge your customers $2.50 for a pickup and $2.50 for a drop off. And you have to apply for a permit. You've got to comply with certain rules and regulations. And everybody said, Well, how do I do that? What do I do? So I worked with the Port Authority to make sure I got to know exactly what it is that they want. And then all of a sudden, one company needs advice on how to do, uh, how to get their permit, and how to maintain their permit in good standing and make sure they don't violate the rules. And that same set of rules and that same need applies to, let's say, the other three, 400 companies that operate in the same space. So, uh, administrative law and compliance with the uh, rules and regulations of either the Port Authority and Taxi and Limousine Commission is sometimes a full time job for some people. Uh, Other things that I handle such as employment law, like I had said before, the one of the main issues is are the drivers employees or are they independent contractors? So I'm often called upon to come into a company, evaluate the company and say, uh, if you got called on the carpet by an administrative agency or a lawsuit, you're going to lose this case and you've got to revamp your business operations. Or I try to get them to work with me to revamp their business operations so that way they're more likely than not to be found to be not an employer and they can order their business affairs accordingly because if, if they get that guess wrong or I get the guess wrong, it winds up being very costly to them.
0: So one of the things you said in your menu approach is that the business owners are increasingly craving, you know, certainty and reasonableness in prices that are sort of can measure it with with the value that you deliver. Um, Help me understand, you know, how that, you know, how how that happens and what kind of conversations you have with the business owners around that.
1: Well, sometimes they ask me questions, sometimes ahead of time, and sometimes it just comes out over time and I make a point of it coming out over time, which is when you need me, I'm there. Meaning if a client calls me, they don't expect me to call a week later after the problems already subsided. They want immediate gratification. So by me getting back to them within 24 hours makes them very happy because they know they're not likely to get that from, let's say, outside counsel. The other is them feeling comfortable knowing that if there is some sort of problem that arises that... I, I'm not saying I can always solve their problem, but that I'll get on it right away and I'll be able to work with them to come up with a solution. You know, for example, like uh, one of the better examples I get from somebody is somebody said to me, uh, I just found out that uh, one of my employees is on the sex offender registry. Can I fire them? And I said, well, are they a good employee? He said, yes. He said, are you paying them fairly? They said, yes. I said, outside of that, is there any reason you would have gotten rid of them? They said no i said then what do you want to get rid of them for what do you want to create a problem for because they don't come into contact with other people in the uh uh, you know where it would be a problem because they're on the registry so why create waves?" and it was like a light bulb went off in their head and said yeah that's true i would do that And another is in at least in new york you you can't discriminate against somebody because they have been convicted of a crime you can't not give them a job because they've been convicted of a crime. There's certain procedures you have to follow. And that one phone call of saying, I'm either going to hire you or I'm not going to hire you without fo- following the proper procedures can make all the difference between having a lawsuit and not having a lawsuit. So I'm there in, in beforehand to advise, if they choose not to contact me, then I'm there after to clean up the mess. It's kind of what what I'll say is akin to, what do you want me to be? And I say this to every client is I can either be a doctor for you or I can be a fireman. And I say, if I'm a doctor, I come in, I do regular checkups. We work together. So that way you're comfortable, you feel good. And if there's a problem, we contain that problem with you know whatever risk uh, management or risk mitigation techniques we have, and you'll pay less for it in the long run. Or you can, I can be your fireman which means you're going to call me when your house is burning. And I'm going to say to you, you're going to have damage. It's going to cost you a lot of money. I don't know if I'm going to be able to contain it, but I'll do my best. And most people don't like, to, don't like that. So they'd rather have their lawyer as a doctor as opposed to a fireman. But sometimes people, including business owners, have to go through that stage of getting burnt a couple of times through a fire to realize maybe I should go with the ounce of prevention.
0: <laughs> I love that analogy between the doctor and the fireman, <laughs> firewoman in my case. Um, it's, it's so true that in-house, uh, you, it, that's kind of your realities of life. And it sounds like as a fractional general counsel, that is as well. Um, you know, we're coming to the end. I have a couple of questions. One around, you know, you've now said repeatedly that customers, clients want to see certainty. Um, They do not like billable hour and they want to have good services, transparency and predictability. Um, Am I am I correct in sort of understanding this overarching message? Of course,
1: absolutely. In in order for somebody, a, a business owner to say, I'm going to have outside general counsel, When I don't know if I need it, I'll take the risk, but I want to know what I'm getting. I want to know how much I'm going to be paying, and I want to know that there's going to be excellence. Now, excellence often comes through the course of time and practice to show your value, uh, but the, the time and devotion is something that you can show very early on, and I go out of my way to make sure that the value is proven early on and it stays that way, so I make sure to set the bar high and when I say to set the bar high is i know with certain clients i will spend let's say one day a week working on their legal matters now it's not where i could say i'm going to take monday and i'm going to work on company a and uh, on tuesday i'm going to work on company b but there are some clients where i know i'm going to have to spend one half a day a week on their legal matters and over the course of time in at least in my head i'm able to put together i call it my availability and my responsibilities so that way i align the two well at the same time the company doesn't have to hire somebody uh who they don't know or hire somebody full-time when they may not need it or may not want it but at the same time they feel comfortable knowing that they have a lawyer on their side who knows the industry who they can feel comfortable going to and the cost is a big factor i mean truth of the matter is is Putting billable hours aside, if you had to call a lawyer when you're not sure if you really need a lawyer, you're likely to not call them. And that creates problems. When you take cost off the table because you're already paying for it, they're going to call you. And in my case, or in the case of my firm, it's created a self-fulfilling prophecy where the business model encourages clients to call you. And the more they call you, the more they would need to call you. So the more they need to call you, it becomes more and more work to the point where some people get me involved in the day-to-day operations of their company more and more over time.
0: I just love it. I've learned so much from you. What I love the concept of Circle of Love. Uh, so good and so applicable across so many uh, practice areas, both in-house and outside, and definitely as a fractional general counsel. Two, I love the concept of menu of services. Um, you know, uh, help us understand what we need and what somebody in my industry of my size may need. And three, I love this, um, this kind of conversation. Do you want me to be a doctor? Do you want me to, or do you want me to be a firefighter? And really allowing clients to make a conscious choice uh steve i've learned so much from this conversation and and thoroughly enjoyed it uh before we say goodbye anything you would like to say to the audience uh, that they should take away from this conversation than uh, other than what i summarized
1: i guess uh, what i would say is at least in my opinion is that in not in order to be successful because success is all relative is that being a lawyer sometimes is not necessarily all that fun. It can be monotonous. It can be boring sometimes. But if you think outside the box and you come up with something new, whether it's a different area of law, a different field, different methodology, or you know, in my case, coming up with a different you know fee schedule or fee methodology or uh, the delivery of services, it can be fun. It can be interesting. the The practice of law can be interesting, but also the business of operating a law firm is I find to be probably the most interesting part, especially after practicing for 25 years. So uh, I guess what I would say is every now and then step outside of the box, step outside of your comfort zone. You never know what what will come to you and you never know what good can come by uh, being different and being somebody who is uh, somebody that's not a regular, somebody that's outside of the pack, somebody that stands out. Uh, I'd rather be the person that gives life a chance and live life and practice law and do what I can rather than just go along to get along
0: Steve thank you so much this has been such an enlightening conversation and I personally thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, learned so much from you and I can't agree with you more is that we can all be creative and innovative Um, I guess maybe the only one thing I will disagree with you is that law I think is fun Uh, and it's up to the operator of the law uh, to, to make it fun um, I, I personally think it's, it's a quite a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, what I took away from this conversation is that, uh, you know, the line between outside lawyer and in-house lawyer is becoming much fuzzier. Um, and, uh, and, and traditional um, lanes uh, are blurring. Um, and we increasingly should be innovative, uh, think outside the box, And really it is up to us to make our legal practices our fun. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you audience for joining us um, and being part of this conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much.